everybody. Good to see you. Good that you made it a priority to be here. For those of us who are maybe at home, maybe because of the latest scare from COVID, or maybe just afraid of the weather, um, I do want to welcome you too, although you're not here, but I'm grateful to see faces this morning. Um, man, you guys look so good. You look alive and awake, and the, the music is powerful. It's all really good. You didn't play my favorite song today, but AJ, we'll talk about that maybe for the weeks to come. Um, I never let him know what my favorite song is, by the way. I never do, because then he, he has enough tension to do his job. If I let him know what my favorite song was, he would feel the tension to like, okay, got to play Chad's favorite song. It isn't about Chad, right? It's about Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, hey, I am, I am grateful that you're here, and it's such a good day to be here at the onset of a brand new series. If you have your Bible, and I do hope that you do, um, please open up to 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to spend some time talking about uh, what it means to maintain a sense of unity in the midst of diversity. And we live in a diverse world, a diversity of opinion, diversity in churches, diversity in personalities, diversity in the way that we look and the way that we talk and the way that we were brought up. And some of just our background, our, our just spiritual background is so different. So what we're going to look at today is, and, and we're going to see how the Apostle Paul navigated this with uh, the church in Corinth, because the church in Corinth itself had an issue that had to be dealt with. And for us, I would say big picture, as we're going to be talking about this for the rest of the month, is, is this. It's one thing for a church to come together. That's one thing for us to, to come together. It's another thing for a church to work together. And it's also another whole other thing for us to stay together. For us, I want you to know that the big picture and leadership of the church and where the church is going and really the heartbeat of the gospel, I think, that is lived out here locally is this. Not that we would just come together because that would not be the best ending, but instead that we would come together, but then we would also learn to work together, that we would do the work of the gospel together. And then out of that, that we would, we would have such a, a potency and the unity of the Spirit that we would stay together, that we would be together, that we could manage through difficult times. This is one of the things that I think that the Apostle Paul shows us so well in this passage of a church itself that had divisions within the people. There were disruptions in the worship services. Uh, some people thought that some gifts were more important than other spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul clears some of that up in this passage and in other passages we won't get to today. And there's definitely in this some diversity of thought and belief. And I would say that all of us have one or all of these elements in our lives. So we need to see what it is that God has to say from this passage and as the Apostle Paul brings about some truths. I will let you know this is going to be drastically different than last week. Last week, I literally had two big ideas that we talked about the, the whole service through. This one's going to be different. We're going to read the passage. I'm going to give a commentary on the passage. I'm going to give you three really big kind of 30,000-foot level view within this passage that's not going to point to one single verse because it's all over this passage. And then at the end, I'm going to give you five ways, very simple, it's going to be clear, hopefully clear to you, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, these five things that help reinforce the three things um, that we see in this passage. So let's dig in together. First Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. 
So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If a, if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, or it would not be for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. There's so much in this passage, but what the Apostle Paul clearly shows is the church is to be one. That's so obvious through this passage. He talks about the, the many parts. It's one body made up of many parts. And then he goes into great detail and talking about as if we were parts of the body that we can't look at another person, i.e. another part of the body, and say, well, I don't need you. You know, comically, I thought about this in a couple different ways, actually. If anyone's ever had a broken bone and had, had a limb that was immobilized for just a season. Who's ever broken a bone and had the, a limb immobilized, right? Is it fun? Is it annoying? Do you also realize that when that bone is broken and when it's immobilized, that all you can think about is what you can't do because that limb is immobilized? That's the way it was for me. And I also started to think about, you know, the, the smaller, the, the, the weaker things that we tend to think of and exist within the body. I, I couldn't help but think of something that happened to me just a couple days ago. I was walking through the house, and this is such a common tale. We all do this. But I was walking through the house and just kind of minding my own business. But then out of nowhere, I rammed my little toe up against a piece of furniture. And to my surprise, it hurt a lot. Uh, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about my little toe, quite honestly. They're kind of gross. I'll just be honest. They really are. Like, my little toes are gross. If I were to take my boots off, you'd see, hey, I agree, they're gross. You probably are too. Don't judge, all right? So, but here's the thing. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my little toe, but the moment that you ram your little toe on something, right, then you start to realize, man, that's kind of important. Like, I like when it doesn't hurt, and I don't like when it does hurt. So, we know this just... Again, kind of comically, we know this from everyday life. But what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage is not something that he's meaning to be funny. He's trying to show of, of something about the local church. And I think one of the things he's supposed to, the big picture he's trying to show us in the local church is this. The local church is to be the most loving and most inclusive community on planet Earth. That 
the local church, not the capital C church, and then we can kind of pass it off to another group of people, but the local church, the, the local expression of the body of Christ is such that it is to be the most loving and the most inclusive community on planet Earth. That's what it was supposed to be. That's what the Apostle Paul, when he starts to hear about the issues in the church in Corinth, he's like, okay, he, he's diagnosed, he's already diagnosed the problem, he knows what the problem is, and now he's trying to think through the solution, hey, what can we do, how can we handle this? So he goes through this exquisite teaching of helping them to understand that every person in the body of Christ matters, and that every single person is there because God has placed them there. So as a consequence to that, just as, as Karen so brilliantly said with her illustration of the, the lemon tree and the orange tree, that we need one another to help each other grow. And the Apostle Paul has all of that built in here because he keeps referring to it, the, that the local church being a body, a unit, seeing itself as so connected with other people that we need one another. One of the tendencies when we look at a passage like this is, is it to not make it personal. We, we can look at this and, and, and we not make it personal for a bunch of reasons. Maybe the, the reason why is because something's happened to us. So it's like when we get into things like this, we kind of dig into our, into our backstory maybe, maybe into some, some bad church history. So then we try, and, we try and drudge that stuff up. And that way we, we tend to use this to reinforce being mad at someone else. Please don't allow Satan to do that. That's not God speaking, that's Satan. Don't allow that to happen. Sometimes in passages like this, we also, we, we look at this in such a way not to personalize it, but just to, to kind of look at the church as a whole as a way of letting ourselves off the hook. But that's not what the Apostle Paul wants us to get out. That's not what the Holy Spirit would want for us either. I think the, the Holy Spirit would want us to press into this. So I'm going to press into it by just asking this question that's just, Dripping with tension. It's this. How can we have and maintain relationships with those not like us? Like, how can we do that? How can we do that in such an environment that though someone may disagree with us to, on many, many levels, but yet we can still have and maintain relationships? That we don't have to cold shoulder someone. We don't have to just skip church for weeks on end, a way of avoiding people. How is it that we can have and maintain relationships in an environment like that? I, I think big picture, one of the things that we have to come to terms with looking right at, at verse 12 is this. Understand that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, verse 13, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Understanding that there could be a lot of things that seek to divide us, a lot of differing opinions. There could be even different beliefs within a, a local church. And yet we have to understand that we all have, as the Apostle Paul says, we have all drunk the same spirit. That's the spirit of God. So the thing that holds us together is not our differences, but the thing that holds us together is the Spirit of God that helps us to maintain relationships and make relationships even with these differences. So let me just ask you this. Do any of these describe your relationships right now? 
do any of these just define or describe your relationships right now? The first one is this, just differences, just differences. By differences, differences, I mean this. It's inability to talk to people with differing opinions or preferences or maybe their upbringing or maybe skin color or even beliefs. And maybe somebody is a Christian, but they lean more into one particular realm of Christianity than the other. Will you kind of lean in this direction or this, this direction? Uh, are are, are your, your relationships just about differences? Meaning that the reason why you can't get along with people is because all you see is differences. And you haven't allowed the Spirit of God to, un, to, to, to basically hold you and Him you together. Instead, you just view your differences and not the similarity of the Spirit. Anne Lamott, controversial as she, as she was in her writing um, and just becoming a Christian writer, she says this, You can safely assume that you've created God in your image when it turns out that God hates or dislikes all the same people that you do. When I read that for the first time, I was like, whoa, quit stepping on my toes. Like, that's not even fair. But yet it's so fair. And it's so true of many circumstances, isn't it? Because when we just, we look at our differences as a way to rationalize why we're not actually making friends or maintaining relationships within the local church. When we do that, what we're just assuming is that God, that God's viewpoint is our viewpoint and we just can't get beyond the differences and we assume that we're right and they're wrong. We're assuming that we're God. And that is a dangerous place to be, obviously. Maybe for you, it's not a matter of differences. Maybe it's just disputes. It's just disputes. And maybe you have a, just a history of ch- being a part of churches at church disputes. Or maybe you're just a disputable person. And I don't say that trying to step on your toes. We've all been around disputable people. If you say it's sunny, they say it's cloudy. If you say it's raining, they say the sun's shining. If you say it's day, they say it's night. If you say it's, that it's, a, it's a day of promise, they just say it's a day of gloom. We just know that they're disputable people. But if we're honest, some of us can be disputable people. Some of us can become those type of people that are just disputable in our own way. So the question is this, how do you handle disputes? Make no mistake, what Jesus said in Luke 6.45 is true. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. What you believe informs how you behave. What you really believe about God, what you really believe about sin, what you really believe about, about evil, what you really believe about who God is and why that matters to you can be found in your behavior to God and other people. Are you a disputable person? Is it just about disputes? Last week I, I mentioned the, really the first dispute that happened in the early church. And I'll go into that just a little bit more, just in case you missed some of that. There was a dispute that was happening in the early church, and it was actually a good dispute. There are disputes that are not good disputes that are just pointless disputes. And then there are other disputes that it's like somebody brings something up, and it's like it's important. That has to be addressed. It's like a gospel issue. 
And what was happening in the early church was a gospel issue. There were a group of widows. They happened to be Greek widows, Hellenist widows, actually, is the terminology, the better terminology. But when you think of Hellenist, think Greek. So there, there are a group of widows and people now gathering in the local church, just the local church expression. The church wasn't like it is today, so many denominations on all continents and all, all that it is today, as colorful as it is. Instead, it was a lot more simplistic back then. So this, this more localized group of people, and they had heard that there was these Hellenists or these Greek widows who were not being cared for. They saw that as being a gospel issue, that these widows, that, that problem, that social problem, was one that the church was supposed to be addressing. So the, the leadership in the early church, they realized that, that this group of widows was not being cared for. Well, this is also a racial issue. And the leadership of the church... They could have just ignored the, the pleas for help and think, well, it's just, it'll be over eventually. If I just ignore it long enough, it's going to be over eventually. They could have done that. They could have just put it back on the widows and said, well, maybe it's time you guys get a job. Maybe they could have just put it back on the widows again and said, well, you know what? If you, if you were a little bit more motivated to work, then you wouldn't have this need, and then it wouldn't be a burden the church carries. It'd be, maybe, maybe what is supposed to happen is you're supposed to carry 80% of this burden, here widows, and then, and then we'll just, we're going to pick up the last 20% as a local church. That's not what they did. They also could have said, well, you know what, it's just not our problem. I mean, the church is young, and we have all these, these new believers, and we're not discipled yet. We just don't, maybe they could have said, well, I, we just don't know what to do. But they didn't. They're very specific on how they handled the, the situation. A, they were, they were willing to listen. The leaders were willing to listen. If you're a person who's a disputable person, more than likely you have an unwillingness to listen. You want to be heard. You're not, you don't want to hear. This is what happens when, when I have disputes and my heart goes wayward in this way, and I'm sure it's the same with you. The leaders were willing to listen. The leaders were teachable. Although they were leaders, they were humble enough to listen and, then, and to learn from what they were hearing. They were willing to do something. They researched it. Oh, yes, they're Greek widows. They're going to be very specific on how they meet this need. That means they also own the problem. And they also knew that just because everybody was willing to come together, that they weren't always going to be able to stay together. That there were problems in the church that had to be worked out in real time. That you just couldn't kick them up the road, kick them up the road, kick them up the road, and hope that someone forgot about the issue. Instead, they brought it to the forefront. And they made, they made necessary changes. What you may not know from the passage in Acts 6 is this. The way they solved the problem was choosing seven men. They happened to all be Greek men to handle the issues with the Hellenist or the Hellenistic or the Greek widows. Very specific group of men who are there to meet this need. So they chose seven men. Their names were Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. None of those sounded like Hebrew names, did they? Because the ones who are going to be advocating for these, these Greek widows would be men from their group, and yet they would be under spiritual authority of the early church. Well, how did all this work out? Did they just choose the leaders and then walk away? 
No, we actually see how it turns out in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. So the word of God spread, that the message of the gospel continued. In the middle of this, this epic dispute, the word of God spread, it continued. It wasn't stifled by the dispute. Instead, they, they heard the grievance and they addressed the grievance. They, they helped to own and solve the problem. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the kind of potential that happens when a local church doesn't ignore problems, but a local church brings those problems to the spiritual leaders and those problems are solved. There's also a public way that this this revs out. What's really interesting and I think really helpful is we live in a time in history to where no one outside of the church can seem to solve any disputes. They're simply just lobbing spiritual and moral and ethical grenades over the wall at one another. No one's wanting to come to terms with what's going on. And what a time in history for us as a local church to be able to handle disputes and differences in such a way that honors God. Because I I believe that this could be true of us, that the word of God would not be stifled, but it would spread. And that the number of disciples in Dublin and Lawrence County would increase, not decrease. That the body of God would, the body of Christ would, would increase and not decrease. So we started with our differences. We talked about disputes, and now we're going to talk about division. Does this, is this something that characterizes your relationships? And by division, I just want to zone into three different things very quickly. These divisions can be lined out with somebody who's just cynical. Somebody who's cynical, they can't see the potential in someone else. Instead, what they do is if somebody's cynical, they only see a person through that person's failures, not through that person's possibilities. And I'm so thankful that that God doesn't look at us just through the lens of our failures. He looks at us through the lens of our possibilities. And for us, if we're going to be if we're going to be a local church, if we're going to be a group of believers who are, who are living a gospel ethic, we have to get this right. There's also another thing, and I, I, I dare not say it because it's so personal to me. It's just another thing that I think gets in the way and just causes division is sarcasm. You see, I grew up in such a way that I thought like sarcasm was like my family's greatest contribution to the world. Like I really did. It was like there's just sarcasm everywhere in the house. But what I've started to realize is, and I can, I can go right back into that, and I, think, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with sarcasm, unless, of course, it does one of two things. I think sarcasm is divisive when it does this, when it, it is said in such a way to tear someone else down. That. If it's, if it's a sarcastic jab, I think that is unhelpful and that is divisive. And also, I think sarcasm, as I've experienced it in my own life, is when sarcasm is used as a way to buffet their own responsibility. As a way to, to, to nullify their own responsibility. So it's just a little sarcastic comment. That way to kind of alleviate any responsibility that, that they may have. And I think both of those ways are divisive. And the last one, I think, in this regard is stereotyping. Just stereotyping, just lumping a group of people together. Not accepting the fact that they are different and that they're different, that God made them different. But instead, just saying, no, they're like those, those other group of people that we tend to not like. Divisive people. Divisive people. 
or the last one here, and we're going to get into our three takeaways, is this. Or is it diversity? Is it diversity? How many people are, are, have you befriended who have a diversity of opinion and a belief and a background and a personality than you? I mean truly befriended. Where someone you can talk to on a regular basis and that they want to talk to you on a regular basis because you've shown that their voice in your life is valuable. And you've also, consequence to that, that you've also shown that your voice is valuable in their life. You see, a true unity in the gospel does not fear diversity. It rejoices in it. So let's talk about this. And, and again, I'm not going to go through all the passage. I could, but the, the next three things that I'm going to really hone in on are, they're all over this passage. So all of this based out of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. The first thing I think that we need to understand when, if we're going to maintain a unit of, unity in the midst of diversity is this. We must celebrate diversity. We must celebrate diversity. We, we must celebrate it. We must celebrate and, and look around and say, praise God that everybody's not like me. Praise God that, that, that we have a multi-generational body. Praise God that we have different spiritual gifts. Praise God that we have different personalities. Praise God that some are more organized and some are more scattered. Praise God for that. Praise God that, that some are more introverts and they'd rather, they'd rather be alone. And yet, well, our, maybe if you're an extrovert, your job is not to make them an extrovert, but just kind of celebrate and learn from the fact that they're introverts. And that if you're an introvert and, and you, to be around extroverts is not for you to become like them, just to, to kind of learn from them, to say, you know what, there's actually beauty in both of those things. And I think in so many ways, we have to learn that the local church is a place of unity, not uniformity. That the local church is a place of unity, not uniformity. So I have, I have a, a simple way of illustrating that. Hopefully this works. I've got a lot stashed in here. You will see in just a moment. Um, but I don't have enough hands. I can tell you that already. Um, I got a lot hidden in here. You don't even know. Um, I really do. So, all right, so check it out. I, I think a way to illustrate this is, is for us to use a salad bowl and this bag of salad. Yes, your pastor has a knife on him at all times. This is the second time in my ministry that I've used an iPhone stage, not to scare you, but it's true, right? So I, when I think about the church as a place of unity, not uniformity, it's understanding that we all do come together, and though this is just a base salad, there's nothing special about this, but I think for us is to, to understand that maybe how we, we add value within the local church is these are pecans, is to say, you know what, some of us are a little nutty. Look at someone right now if you think they're nutty and point them out publicly. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, there's a lot of spouses probably going to need some counseling following this. But, uh, and and I, I wasn't paying attention. Were you pointing at me? You could have been. You could have been. You could have been. I don't know. Um, here you go. Not to offend, but it's certainly true of some of us. Some of us are a little cheesy. Um, that's okay. It's true. I can be, I can be totally cheesy. I'm... I love a good dad joke, which a lot of people think is cheesy. There's that. Um, some of us are just very colorful, right? Just very colorful. Got some tomatoes. Hopefully this opens. Um, 
is said that all you had to do is open that and they would all fall out. There it is. It's colorful. That's amazing. So, so there's all sorts of like all coming together here and all make what? It's not complicated. The salad. And then you have croutons because, A, bread. Who doesn't like bread, right? So you have that to kind of spruce it all up, putting it all together. And, and here you go. We're all unified here to make this salad. What did I forget? Oh, yeah, I've got one more. And I've got some fruit. So uh, some of us, a little fruity. I'm not going to lie. We really are. And it's, it's okay. God loves you um, no matter what your personality type is. But when we all come together, this actually makes a beautiful salad. And yet, there's all sorts of unity. Like when we're together as, as a church, and see, look at that. I don't even care if you're a salad person. That just looks good, does it not? Keith will eat that. We'll see if he'll eat it next because I'm not done yet. Um, you see, the thing is within a local church is to understand the, the unity of the gospel and how the, how the Spirit binds us together. All of us come together in such a way. However, sometimes in a local church, what we try to do is not celebrate unity, but instead we always, or excuse me, we sometimes seek uniformity. And uniformity is this it takes our unity and just does something really disgusting to it. And it says, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your upbringing is, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter of how you add value into the world, but yet the only way you can actually add value to this local body is if you're like everybody else. By the way, when we were looking for this jar of ranch, my, my ask was, I wanted the most large and annoying bottle of ranch. I'm not done yet, there's more... That's good. You still up for this, Keith? You can have it, man. You can. You sure? It's up to you, brother. You, you can have it. We're not done. Yeah, look at that. This is going to be a soup. There you go. Enjoy it. It's yours if you want it. Somebody get him a fork. Um, you see, this isn't unity. This is uniformity. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you grab out of here. Everything's going to taste like what? Ranch. Unity in the body of Christ says, you know what, I'm different, and I, it's okay that I'm different. And I also want to celebrate the fact that you're different. And that diversity is something that we need within the local church. We're not looking for uniformity, a bunch of yes people, a bunch of people to just step in line and just do what they're told. Instead, we want everyone to come together and be who it is that God wants them to be. When you just add ranch on everything, it doesn't matter what you have. It all looks the same. It all tastes the same. And I don't care if you even like ranch. I don't think you like ranch that much. Proves a point, doesn't it? But I think for us, we need to, to celebrate this diversity and to understand that, that the local church isn't, it isn't a bunch of people who think, always have to think alike and be alike and do alike. That there's diversity within the body of Christ. And that's the way that God made it. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, right from our passage, it says this. Now the body is, is not made up of one part, but of many. But of many. The second thing, we must tolerate diversity. We must tolerate diversity. There, there is some things that we have to tolerate because with those differences of opinion... And differences of belief and differences of gifts and personalities and, 
and when somebody acts out of their, their backstory and not being who it is that God wants them to be, but instead they're living out of like their family of origin issues, and then they bring that into the family of God, like it can bring all sorts of controversy, and it can bring all sorts of almost bad diversity, but we have, it, have to at times to go, and we have to celebrate diversity. We also need to tolerate diversity. And it's when we can't tolerate diversity that some some people, they expect then everyone to go into uniformity mode. But we're not trying to do that here. Colossians 3, 13 says it clearly. Bear with one another and forgive any complaint you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with one another. It literally means to put up with. Or to hold up. I even like the way that is even better. Because how amazing this. Like when we think of it to put up with, it almost seems like, oh, I just put up with you long enough. But yet, look at the other way that that is rendered out. It says, and it I think helps us to get to more of a, a more clear understanding when we talk about this idea of diversity and tolerating diversity is this. It's to hold up. Instead, if, if we were to decide ahead of time, and we can decide this today, yeah, we may have a difference of opinion, but if we're going to celebrate diversity, there's going to be times where we also have to tolerate diversity. And what if we looked at each other instead of through the lens of our, of our own likes and our own preferences or our own personality and thinking that we're right and then consequently anyone who's different than us is wrong? What if instead we don't look at it in that way because that's not actually the gospel way? Instead, what if we were to choose the, the more uh, Christ-centered way to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not just going to have to put up with you in this moment. I'm actually going to hold you up. I agree that we're different, and I don't, I don't, I, I agree that we're different, and I disagree with what you're saying, and I see it through a completely lens, a completely different lens, or maybe I even disagree with you wholeheartedly, but what if we, ahead of time, knowing that all that diversity of thought and opinion and belief could happen in the local church, but we decide ahead of time, say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, even if we disagree. I'm not going to blow you out of the water just because I think I'm right and I think you're wrong. I'm not going to blow you out of the water because I have five different Bible passages that I have right now in my quiver that I could just absolutely just shoot at you right now. I could just lob five arrows at you right now and I could shut you down in a moment. But what if we decided, you know what, in this moment what I'm going to do is I'm just going to hold you up. With humility, I'm just going to... I'm just going to assume that in this moment that, that you are, you know, you're, you're the weaker participant in this and I'm not going to tout my own strength. Instead, I'm just going to assume that you're weaker. I don't even need to tell you that you're weaker. I'm just going to hold you up in Jesus' name. What would a church like that look like going forward? It would change the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says this. It's just a great example of this particular thing in this passage. God has combined the members of the body and has given great honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Illustrates it perfectly. The last thing, last main takeaway is this. We must cooperate through diversity. We must cooperate through diversity. We must cooperate 
through diversity. I'll illustrate this very quickly. Many of you know we used to have a dog by the name of Bella. She was a lot of fun. If you've ever been to our house, like years ago before she passed away, she was all over the house. She was just a great dog. We never fed her from the table intentionally. We never did. It's just something we just didn't want to do. Didn't mean that she didn't get on the table to feed herself. I'm not saying that. Uh, don't hear me wrong. But we never invited her uh, to eat food f- like you know off our plates. But yet, anything that would fall off the table was fair game. And we knew it was fair game. We just, consi- we just considered that like a gift because then we didn't have to get the vacuum out. She's like, she's doing it all for us, right? Any dog lovers, you kind of know that's, that's kind of how it works sometimes. And so with Bella, though we never gave her food off of our plate, but if something fell off the table, it was hers. If we're going to cooperate through diversity, we have to start seeing people in a different way. And instead of just giving people just the crumbs that fall off of our table, just giving them what's left over, instead we need to give them a seat at the table. If we're going to be a a people, if we as as followers of Jesus Christ are going to move forward by His grace and be united in the gospel, and if if this body is going to maintain a strong body, a localized expression of the faith, it's cooperating through diversity. Now I want to give you five takeaways, and I'm going to be through. I'm going to invite the band up now. Five takeaways to help us maintain these three things we talked about. Again, I think they just reinforce what we see in this passage. First thing is this. Think the best of people even before you have proof. Think the best of people even before you have proof. Second thing, don't generalize. Don't generalize. Generalizing down places a person's individual value and worth. It's like putting ranch dressing on the salad. It's just generalizing. Third thing is this. Assume everyone is important and your perspective is limited. Everyone is important and your perspective is limited. Because it is. Last two. Accept people for who they are. And not from who you are. Accept people for who they are. And last, always be willing to lay down your preferences for opportunities to share Jesus inside the church and outside the church. If you were to get these things right, the hope of Jesus Christ would shine in the community. If you would get this right, the church and 2022 and beyond can be vibrant. It can be the hope of the world as Jesus would want us to be. And I'm going to end with this and then we're going to respond with singing and you can take communion as the song is, is going to be played in just a moment. You can take communion at, at will. Um, you can respond to this in the way that you see fit. You can pray there alone. You can sing at your chair, you can take the Lord's Supper individually or you can take it as a group. We're not all going to take it together. 
Um, we're going to end with this singing and the response. But I want to finish my part with this. Understand this. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is a progress. Working together is success. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first, showing us the way, allowing us to, to be the people that you want us to be, a diverse people. Most of us actually could be in this from this area, and yet that is something that we have in common. But yet, God, there are so many other elements of diversity. And we need the Spirit of God to bind the body. Hold us tightly together, especially in the seasons when we want to rip it apart. We trust, Jesus, that you're doing and you will do just what you've done for millennia back is to hold us together and allow us to bear fruit in your name.